millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Pod bless everybody. I'm your host of OPP, Corey Cambridge. And before we get started with this amazing episode, I want to tell you about my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants is a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. Ever wondered who made the MTV logo? Did you know the person who wrote Earth, Wind & Fire's hit song September? Also wrote the theme song for the hit 90s TV show Friends? On Silent Giants, we learn more about these amazing people and dig deep to learn more about their most famous works. Be sure to check out Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now, let me introduce you to our special guest of OPP. Hi, I'm Rebecca Cunningham, and I am the host of Girl Tales, and this is OPP. God bless everybody, and welcome back to another episode of OPP. Other People's Podcast is America's number one podcast discovery platform where we interview your favorite podcasters and talk about the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Rebecca Cunningham, host of the amazing podcast, Girl Tales. Girl Tales is a podcast featuring reimagined fairy tales, damsels in distress, princesses in need of protection. Nah, you won't find those here. The girls in these stories take control of their own destinies, turning your favorite fairy tales into exciting new adventures. In this interview, we learn more about Rebecca, her career in theater. We get her podcaster's picks. And of course, we get into her dope show, Girl Tales. So allow me to introduce you to the amazing Rebecca Cunningham. Yo, Rebecca, what's popping? How are you? Yo, everything (laughs) is everything. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Well, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. How are you living? How are you dealing with the COVID crisis? I'm slowly losing my mind, but I am surviving. Life could be a lot worse. I have I have my cat. Uh, she's really good at having conversations. And uh, yeah, that's where I am right now. How are you doing? Yo, I'm good. I, I kind of wish that I was living in my old hood, which is your current hood, near Prospect Park, because I would love to have the park right now. It was so beautiful yesterday. I went for a walk at six o'clock and I was watching the sunset and all the New Yorkers were uh, walking very far apart from each other, but we were still all there and it was really lovely. Hopefully I'm fine and safe, but (laughs) the park is saving my life for sure. Speaking of New York, are you originally from here? No, I grew up in New Jersey um, in a town called Old Bridge, not famous for anything, but yeah, it was like a suburban town. Well, uh, now Old Bridge is famous for you. Yeah, I have made a fame. Well, do you remember <laughs> Do you remember um the graduation song from when we were younger? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh who's saying that? I uh, Vitamin C? Vitamin C is from Old Bridge. Yo, yo, represent yeah. Vitamin C. <laughs> vitamin C. Uh, her dad like <laughs> lived in the same development as I did. So, she made Old Bridge famous far before I 
did and will. So I know that you are uh, really, really big in theater. Tell me, how did you first develop your love for theater? Mm. My love for theater started with my dad. He kind of raised us on old school movie musicals from like 30s, 40s, 50s. And he loved singing and his whole family loved singing. And so I got into that. And then I started doing theater classes, voice lessons, all of that stuff. And I and I loved being on stage when I was younger. That turned into directing when I was in college. And that has since turned into podcasting. So what drove you to make the jump from know, being on stage talent to being behind the scenes as a director in the world of theater? Mm, I hated auditioning. So I really don't love being told what to do. And I don't love waiting for someone to give me permission to do something. And directing, I found that I could create myself. I could go out, find the script, and just find a space and direct. And so... It worked. I took a class my senior year of college with this professor named Annie Levy, who was a brilliant teacher. And yeah, I just fell in love. Yeah, because I'm often curious. I get to interview folks on my other podcast, Silent Giants, and I've interviewed folks who worked in the film role uh, as a director. Mm-hmm. But how do you break into the industry, the theater industry as a director? Like, What's the typical route people go and what was your route? There is no typical route. I mean... There are people who go, like, they go to college for it and they or they get their master's in directing. Um, that's a big thing right now. But honestly, like, it's about, if you want to direct a show, you could, you could go direct a show. You just have to find the script and you have to find the actors. And as long as you can do that, I, I guess you can call yourself a director. Because what are the, the key essential things that you feel make a good theater director, like, What what are the main qualifications? The way I always looked at it is like I am a litmus test for the actors. So I'm not there to tell them what to do necessarily. I'm there to see the bigger picture and tell them if what they tried works. I'm there to be their audience before the audience gets there. So... It's not about being bossy. It's not about being controlling. It's about making decisions, certainly, so that everybody feels safe. But it's about listening and, like, making sure everyone in the room understands where we are, where we're going, that sort of thing. So it's not what people typically think theater a theater director does, but that's how I look at it. Hey, your work has a, a queer movement-based Uh, theme to it. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to go this route with theater and and what drove that? Yeah, I mean, I'm queer. So (laughs) I think it's when I first started doing this, there wasn't a ton of queer theater, Um, not great queer theater. Now there's like excellent queer theater, like excellent representation of queer people in, I mean, all of our media. But and especially in theater. And um, it's just what I related to. And I just believe, I believe in representation and how that can like change people's lives. And so 
yeah, that was my connection. So I, and and it turns out like when you are queer, people tend to want to hire, if they're doing a queer show, they want to hire a queer director most of the time. So that's how it kind of worked out. You touched on it a little bit, but describe the queer theater community to me from where you first got into it and to where it is right now currently. Mm. It was a lot smaller when I was younger. When I first got out of college, it was a lot smaller. But I found like one, there was one playwright, Christina Quintana, who actually like wrote the first episode for Girl Tales too. Um, She was writing like brilliant queer theater and she was getting her master's at Columbia. And we made some queer theater together and we continued doing that. Now, like, I don't even know, like the queer theater scene is like the theater scene now. It it just is. And so it we're not really separate anymore. It just is. You're seeing like big shows on Broadway, like Head Over Heels, which has like non-binary characters and like lesbian love story and like... There, there's just like so much representation that it just like is a part of the theater world now. There is no, there's no separation. So Rebecca, I also, I think I was doing a little research on you and somewhat across the fact you were also working in childcare as well. Yeah. Is true? Yeah, yeah. So this is a, a soft spot for me personally because I uh, was a nanny in the city for a long time. Oh, you and were? It, yeah, yeah. That had a, a humongous impact on me. Uh, how did you get into childcare? I had to. <laughs> So because I was directing, I wanted time and flexibility. And I don't know where I heard it from, but I knew other artists who were nannies and they were like, well, you should do this. The pay is decent. The hours aren't full time and you can live off of it. And so I was like, okay. So I gave it a try and then I I fell in love with it. I did it for uh, five years with like a ton of different families. But yeah, how long did you do it for? Three years. Three years, yeah. Three years in the city, and I, I was a live-in for over a year. Oh, live-in, what was that like? Yeah, I was a live-in in Greenwich, Connecticut. Wow. For an entire year. And it was very similarly to you, where I was like, oh, it pays how much? Oh, word. <laughs> and then you don't have to pay rent. <laughs> right, I was like, oh, sign me up, let's do it. But, you know, I walked away with just learning so much about parenting and children and myself. Yes, yes. What did you learn from from your experience? <laughs> I think the first thing I learned is my childhood probably wasn't that normal. <laughs> because seeing other parents, right, and how they cared for their kids, I was like, oh, okay, this is like a different approach from what I was brought up with. What else? I learned, oh my, I just learned like, how to speak with children. I learned like it's similar to theater direction. It is not about control. It is not about that at all. Like these are humans and they, they're go like they take their emotions just as seriously as we take ours. What did I learn about myself? Like so much. I had the capacity to be like more patient than I ever thought I possibly could be. And God, I mean, like taking care of children, like brings you to the absolute edge of what you think you can do and then pushes you further. So, yeah. Well, you know what? I think this is the perfect time to take a quick break. Okay. Rebecca, when we get back, we're going to get to your podcast, Girl Tales. Sounds good. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, Rebecca, we are back. Okay, so tell me, how did you first discover the medium of podcasting? The medium of podcasting. Actually, the person who I built my podcast with, Chad, uh, we were both working at a stationary company and would be bored during the day. And he was like, you should check out this podcast called This American Life. And um, yeah, that's when I got into podcasts. That was back in 2012, something like that. I had heard of podcasts before, but I never listened to them. So that was the first time I did. Did you know then that at some point in your life, you would want to start a podcast? Nope, not not at all. No, I was like dead set on theater. No one was going to like change that. I had a dream of being a theater director and running a regional theater company. I I had no plans of ever doing podcasting until I actually started one. Yes, you are now the host of Girl Tales, uh, which is scorching up the Apple podcast charts right now. Yes. Tell me. For folks who have never heard of Girl Tales, give me the elevator pitch for the show. Girl Tales is a feminist kids podcast. Uh, We take fairy tales and adapt them so that girls are the heroes. A different writer, uh, either a woman or non-binary writer, writes the fairy tale they needed to hear as a child but never did. What was the origin story uh, of the making of this podcast? Okay, I will try and make this quick. So I I was a nanny, right? So I'm making, I'm trying to make mac and cheese for a kid. He will not sit down and let me just make him dinner. So I thought, I like listening to podcasts. Let me see if there is a podcast for kids. I find this podcast called Stories Podcast, which is a great, great podcast. And it's it's one of the most popular podcasts out there. And um, he sat and he listened for half an hour and I got to make him his dinner And then I was watching another uh, kid, a little girl who wanted to, we had been listening to podcasts and she wanted to reenact Rapunzel. And she said, okay, I'm going to be the princess. You be the prince and you come and save me. And I asked her, well, why don't you find a way to save yourself? And she thought that that was ridiculous. And I realized in that moment, oh my gosh, children's stories last with us forever. And this girl is going to think someone's going to have to come and save her. How do I convince her otherwise? Then two other kids, I'm babysitting and it's right before the 2016 election. And we're talking about who's going to win. And the little girl turns to me and says, Becca, what are we going to do if he wins? And I said, well, that's ridiculous. You know, I didn't say that's ridiculous, but I said, well, that's not going to happen. It's not something you have to worry about. But, you know, if he does, it's going to be okay. We'll figure it out. And she was crying. I had to hug her. It was really scary for her. 
Obviously, 2016, I was very wrong. 2016 happened. I'm watching Hillary's concession speech, and she's definitely was a flawed candidate, but like beyond way more experienced than the fool we have in charge right now. And I'm holding a baby girl in my hands. And as Hillary's telling little girls everywhere that they can do whatever they set their minds to and not to look at this as like a setback to their hopes and dreams. And, and I knew I had to do something. It wasn't, it didn't even feel like a choice. And I remembered podcasts. I remembered kids podcasts and I remembered, and I realized like I could do this and take what I know from theater and do it myself. And so I turned to my friend Chad one night and I said, hey, I think I want to make a podcast and here's my idea for it. And he said, cool, I want to learn how to do that. So we taught ourselves via YouTube how to make a podcast and we raised $5,000 and we did it. Wow. 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 And I, I noticed something that I thought was phenomenal and really important about the show. And it had nothing to do with the show itself. When I saw the cover, uh, the cover is an image of a brown girl. Yeah. Why was that so important? And, and you are a, a Caucasian female. Mm-hmm. Why was this important for you? I heavily commend you for that. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And why was it important for you to have that, have that depiction of a young girl on the cover of the podcast? Because feminism doesn't belong to white women only. And it doesn't belong to white girls only. And I knew that if I was going to make this podcast, it had to be for all kids. And I am not the right person to write these stories. And that's why I hire different writers. And I ask them to write the stories because there are so many kids who are not represented in children's media today. It's it's like writers' rooms for children's shows are heavily male and they're heavily white. I don't even know the statistics on on what children's TV show writers' room looks like for like let's say black women because the the stats don't even exist. And so like it's a really big problem. We wanted to be a part of that solution. And so I wanted to make sure like, okay, our image has to be for all girls, all kids, not just what we typically see on cover art for, I don't know, not just podcasts, but like for all shows right now. And for little girls who are going to listen to Girl Tales, what do you want them to walk away with uh, from the show? Like, What's the message or overlying message for them. They are not background characters in their own lives. They can be at the center of the narrative. They don't have to wait. They can take risks even when it's scary. I mean, that's like the best thing I can hope for. The least thing that, you know, I hope they find it entertaining too. Like right now, I hope it's an, ex- an escape for them and it calms them, makes them happy, makes them feel like they're going on an adventure while they're cooped up at their homes. But yeah, I mean, if it empowers one kid, all the better. For the audience, I'm going to paint a picture here. Imagine we're in the house. 
you know, going through the COVID virus. I'm cooking dinner. I have my little girl and my little boy, and I'm playing Girls Tales. Why is it important for my little boy as well to hear this message from the podcast? It's a good question. I, I think it's it's really important because, of course, boys should understand that girls can do everything they, they can do. But it's also really important for boys to be comfortable identifying with girl characters. There was a poem I read recently called My Brothers Have Not Read Little Women. I think it's something like that. Uh, It was a short poem that was just like posted on Facebook. But girls have read a lot of stories throughout their school years about boys like Catcher in the Rye, Lord of the Flies. Like we have been told to identify with boy characters from the get-go, but boys don't. They don't read Little Women. They don't read Babysitter's Club. And I think that that is a hindrance on boys. I mean, of course it is on girls too, but it is a hindrance on boys. Boys should feel comfortable and okay identifying with girl characters in books. You know, it it shouldn't be looked down upon. And so I hope that we as a podcast are, you know, welcoming to like kids of all gender identities and that they feel safe with us and comfortable with us. And what have you personally walked away with, you know, from making this show? I have, I have personally, I've realized that like reaching this many kids all over the world, it feels like a huge responsibility. We're going through a kind of scary time right now. I mean, kids all around the world must feel very anxious Uh, and nervous, and they've had, like, their entire lives turned upside down. I want Girl Tales to be a safe place for them. And, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what I've taken away from it other than, like, I put a lot of care than I ever thought I would. I thought I was just, like, making stories to entertain kids and empower girls. Now it's, like, how do I, how do I, uh, I'm always thinking about how I reach them and they feel like I'm talking to them directly. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm in the thick of it, really. And so I don't know. I, I haven't I had a lot of time to reflect, but that's something I just didn't know I would be jumping into. And you spoke about, you know, reaching so many kids around the world. You are just a podcast is taken off and doing extremely well on the charts right now. You know, how does it feel to have something that you manifested inside of your mind? that you made something, you know, made tangible and have it be so well received by children, you know, to, to see your intent happen and come to reality. How does that feel for you? That is not something that's synced in yet entirely. I wish it has. I mean, this is like very new for us. We had hundreds of listeners. Now we have thousands and thousands of listeners. And so, yeah, it hasn't sunk in. But I think if I could talk to... Rebecca, like when I first started this, I think she'd be like really excited about this. This is I like just not something I anticipated. 
And what I just keep trying to remind myself, because it's also very scary, right? Like we we were a podcast that like parents had to search for if they wanted feminist kids content. Now we are open to the world, whether you want that or not, because we are featured on the Apple podcast page. So if you hate the idea of feminist kids content, you can leave us like a terrible review, which is not something we like experienced before. And so I'm, I'm trying not to take those to heart. What I am reading is like, wow, this has really empowered me and this makes me feel really inspired and I feel like I'm going on an adventure and kids are hearing stories that they would otherwise not have access to. And yeah, I mean, that I did cry once for sure because it it has like really truly touched me for sure. Wow. Uh, Rebecca, we've come to a part of the show called our podcaster's picks. Now, this is when I asked the guests of today's show to provide me with their top three favorite podcasts that you enjoy that we should be listening to and describe them to the audience. So Rebecca, take it away. Should I do three grown up podcasts or should I do three kids podcasts? Oh, that's a great question. Give me, give me two, give me two kids and one adult. Okay. So two kids podcasts. I, Well, I already mentioned one. So I'm going to mention two. Like, there's one that's really popular, which is another feminist kids podcast called Rebel Girls. They have a book. They have two books already. Well, now they have several books, but they basically, they make fairy tales based on like actual women and they call themselves Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. And it's really brilliant. And like the audio quality is just out of this world. They're just beautiful stories. And then there's a brand new podcast that I'm really excited about that is called Stoop Kid Stories. And it's all of these different stories written by one woman, Melissa Victor. And she the stories are just so good. It's all about kids who like, go like they're just like living their daily lives and come in to you know encounter a problem figure out how to solve it and they're really cute so I highly recommend both of those and then my favorite uh, I have so many favorite grown-up podcasts but I'm gonna say keep it have you ever listened to keep it before no no I haven't Okay, so it's it's a podcast they 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 like go over everything pop culture politics, just basically everything. And they're, uh, it's run by Ira Madison III and this other guy, Louis Fertel, and a woman named Aida, whose last name I can't remember. But they're really funny people, and um, I just appreciate their witty banter. So Keep It is my, is my third podcast. All righty, all righty. And Rebecca, before we get out of here, why do you podcast? Why do I podcast? (laughs) Because I, gosh, I should have had the answer for this already. Why do I podcast? Because I can. And like, I, I don't have to wait for anybody. I don't need space to do it like I did in theater. I mean, I have my apartment where I can record in and I am able to reach so many people and like audio is the best. I I love listening to podcasts. And so why wouldn't I get into the space? I do it because I can. Wow. Rebecca Cunningham, it's such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Girl Tales is super, super dope. 
And I love what you do. I love what you bring to the podcasting space. And man, you're just super, super dope. I'm just very honored to have you on the show today. And everyone, please go check out Girl Tales right now. You rock. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, Corey. You rock too. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Rebecca Cunningham. You can listen to Girl Tales on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. This episode was mixed by Zelko Tomic. The theme music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. And are you down with OPP? If so, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating in the Apple app. And let me know your favorite podcasters in the review section. Lastly, before we get out of here, check out my other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. And you can find Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Well, I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pod bless everybody. Till next time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.